Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Waru Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and enemies. Welcome to Warrior Dash Show's Stream of Four, Season 4, Episode 7. You hear the usual jokes. You've heard them all before, so I won't bore you with them again. Um, I'm Shaden. I am, you know, that Annie Twitter's resident Chrome Dome here, race talk shop about another episode of The Promised Neverland. And joining me as always, several thousand miles away, but always very close to my heart, a good friend of mine, the Soul Doxer. Annie Twitter's resident Crone Dome. Oh, it- have no prizes for anyone in chat who wants to guess what a significant topic of conversation will be on today's uh, <laughs> outing. Um, however, <clears throat> regrettably, there is a sir not appearing in this film or a lady not appearing in this film. Um, unfortunately, Vargelia could not join us tonight due to prior commitments. Uh, the prior commitment can mean that she, of course, was kidnapped by Phil. That's right. Uh, we're currently in enhanced negotiations with him. Uh, he keeps asking for a whisper gold. I think I might be able to fish, you know, fork out money for that, maybe. You know, it's... it's <laughs> It's a difficult thing at the moment. I'm trying. I'm fighting with all my heart to get her back. Uh, she will, however, on a more serious note, be returning next week when we cover episode eight. Uh, but that is why she's currently absent. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, currently decored in red. Is that correct, Doc? This image was sent to us from, you know, the next world, the beyond. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got, the, you got Someone walked into my office with a scalpel in hand, and I thought they were going mm. to stab me. But then they said, no, take this letter. And in the envelope that I unsealed was this p- red picture of Borgalia. And ah, in right. a single word, Phil. 
Uh, to answer your question, Emily, uh, yes, they do still make Whisper uh, Golds, actually. Uh, you can, like, they actually made a comeback, believe it or not. Hmm. So they do exist. Uh, as for, you know, Doc got his, you know, nicely mailed over. Mine just got shoved through the letterbox and the paper ball, and it just said, you know, Whisper Gold or Dead in letters put out from magazines. <laughs> Classic Ransom Note style. Yes. So uh, clearly I feel I feel a bit, you know, mistreated on that front. Anyway, moving away from, you know, cripplingly awful hostage situations, uh, by which I actually mean just the ball girl can't sadly be here tonight, let's instead talk about episode 7 of The Promised Neverland 11, I'm oh, sorry, 011145. Um, so, first off though, oh, yeah. Oh, just before we get started, this week there actually was information on the director on Wikipedia, and I just wanted to, before we got into the plot summary, I just wanted to really quickly, um, oh, the plot summary or the Twitter polls, I just wanted to really quickly... Shout out the name of uh, Shohei Yamanaka. And funnily enough, Yamanaka-san does not have a page on either my anime list or Anime News Network. So, like, luckily Sakuga Blog has some some credits, but I, I don't know if they have, like, an encyclopedic entry for these people in the way because i'm not a frequenter of sakuga blog surprise surprise nothing is sakuga blog like that's not a diss that those guys kevin is amazing and all those guys do great work it's just not Hmm. like what i spend my time doing looking at animation cuts um if he's if he's only like recently appeared in anime circles maybe he didn't exist prior to like two weeks ago (laughs) you know he was he, he, he was, like, cloned from, it, like, Hayao Miyazaki's jeans or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, some solid-state solid shit, you know? That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the thing I'm saying. Yes. Uh, liquid, anyway. Liquid Hayao. But, but <laughs> this person, uh, Yamanaka-san, is, uh, has been, like, a key animator for things like Review Starlight and something called Yama no Susume Season 3. So, like, if you look around, you'll find the... I think maybe that's the reason why there's, like, a... An animation credit here and there, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, per, this person needs a credits page because they're that and now an episode director, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. So there you go. And on you know a show such as this, where the directional quality is that high and that noticeable and that distinct, so that's a good thing. And indeed, as we'll get into this episode later, there is still plenty of good directional touches. Some of them I found a bit suspects here and there, but you know. I, that's funnily enough also related to Crone, as it turns out. Uh, quick shout-outs to Mirror who's joining us back in the chat. I'm sorry that that stuff got you down and kept you away, uh, but I understand entirely. Sometimes it's reasonable yeah. to disconnect from, you know, the swirling shitstorm that is social media. I don't begrudge anyone from doing that. Uh, if you want my brief five-second opinion on it, hashtag kick Vic. Fuck the lot of you say otherwise. Moving on. Right. Let's, let's, yeah, let's move swiftly on and not get dragged into that mire. Um, no, I do not. I, I've said my piece on I that. I think our no opinions are totally clear on that if you follow us on yeah. Twitter. So. Yeah. Okay, so we want to <laughs> so speak of Twitter. Let's speaking of Twitter, Twitter, let's return to the funner side of Twitter. Uh, where do I have Twitter pulled up? Okay, right here. All right, let's talk about the polls. And can't, you can't do it without the sound. So let's talk about Twitter polls. Last <laughs> week, Twitter polls conducted by uh, the boy from Britain, the absolute bearded one shadon uh we got is phil the secret hidden in plain sight evil cosmic horror god ruling over the earth in the promised neverland there's still 15 minutes left to vote in this poll 67 percent say praise 
to the evil one. There's even more evidence in this episode that that's true, in my opinion. Listen. I Like, like we'll get to it, but there is evidence. <laughs> it, it was incredible. Uh, I think Lost Thief had a great tweet about it just show it was only the pictures <laughs> and it told a great story but yeah you should <laughs> get in now and vote yes so that phil will spare you when the day of uh, sacrifice comes um <laughs> and you won't end up like uh poor ricketts and judo and and those those sad band of the hawk boys mm. oh god yeah i oh, went to the man. dark place sorry Next poll, based on the evidence presented in episode six of The Promised Neverland, do you believe? <laughs> do you believe William? Just the name, William Minerva. I'm sorry, is uh, an ally from outside, as Emma says. It's a very serious poll. Do you think Minerva is on their side? Let alone real. Sixty-two percent say for sure, and I got a feeling that sixty-two percent of the people are. Well, you know what? A lot of people that listen to our our show and watch our our stream are not manga readers. I was going to say I have a feeling that sixty percent know the future, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, because I think a lot of people have not. So yeah, but anyway, the majority of people believe that uh, Billy Minerva is a true ally. Yeah, I'm still holding out for washed up alcoholic who tried to lead a resistance force in the past. Such a good up royally. And now he's just spending his time brewing moonshine. He's going to basically turn out to be like Luke Skywalker from The Last Jedi. Mm, yes. Milking an alien on the fucking shores <laughs> and just, you know, generally being weird. Yes. That's what he's going to turn out to be, in my opinion. Incredible. You've done, this, you've done the Star Wars <laughs> reference this week. It makes me so happy. Well, <laughs> you, it was a modern Star Wars reference, though, this side. You're in the game. I'm keeping it semi-fresh. <laughs> Does the collection of children's toys in Isabella's hidden room suggest and... Boy, I think this is such a relevant poll to this week's episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the choices were trophies of her results. Sort of, mwahaha, look at all the children I've sold off and good things I've done for a he slash him. Mm. And uh, 54% voted for the other choice, guilt regarding the children. And Fairly even split. Mm-hmm. That is where I'm leaning based on the current episode. Mm. Uh, and those are the polls. Fair enough. Uh, we will, funnily enough, I can't believe those polls will be relevant later, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a there's a revelation that happens in this episode that does recontextualize a lot. And if you've joined us previously from when we've talked about Banana Fish and Franks and all that, um, or even MMO Junkie, funnily enough, if you mm. ever around back then in the, in the Halcyon days was doing <laughs> right. this. Um, like, one of the things about doing this format where we do week-on-week stuff is that we can, of course, make predictions, wild theories, assertions, whatever. I mean, we're doing that with William Minerva, for example. Um, but sometimes things happen that completely tilt things on the head. And I'm not talking about plot twist kind of things here. I'm just talking about getting information that changes everything that you knew, or rather a lot of what you know, um, without, you know, rewriting history. So that's going to happen here when we get to this plot point a bit later. But anyway, uh, let us begin with, uh, you know, the 1st of November, 2045. Um, right. I'm eagerly awaiting getting to that age, by the way, when I'm, you know, when I'm alive on that day and saying today is the only day you can retweet this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I agree. Someone, that's that's going to happen. <laughs> that, 
totally fucking gonna happen. I can see it now. We're gonna um, be fucking like in our sixties. I'm gonna be kicking back on a chair somewhere, rocking back and forth, probably drinking moonshine. Like, anime my dayism. It was better than this shit. Wait, no, it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, it was so, the same. So, um. First thing to note very quickly here is that normally the uh, Promised Neverland is always opened immediately into its OP. Uh, not so this time. They just kick right back in with a little bit moment where uh, Crone's continuing where she left off. Mm-hmm. You know, saying to the children, join forces with me, you know? Why not? And there's a bit of hesitation, of course, but then she shows something that we've actually had seen this before, to be fair, or rather we were told about it from Isabella because she recited her own code number. Um, when she was doing her broadcast to Grandma. Right. But uh, Crone here goes, well, check this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I didn't. I missed a trick by not horribly <laughs> firing on deck there. We both uh, should have. We didn't talk next, about that beforehand. <laughs> next time. Next time. So it boils down to basically this. Like, is it, uh, Sorry, Crone is, you know, doing her usual shtick. Ah. She's saying, like, I, you know... I want to become mom of this place. I want to live a comfortable life. And she's hamming it the fuck up while doing so. Uh, I'm mentioning that she's hamming the fuck up, by the way, because that's going to be a big part of what I'm going to talk about later when we get to the talking points. Uh, it's going to be relevant to a new interpretation I have of <clears throat> of her character. Uh, but she also reveals something very interesting here in that how, you know, okay, first off, she confirms, as was asked by Emma, like, where did you come from? Like, were you raised as livestock? And it turns out that that is true. She was raised not at this particular house, but rather at somewhere else. Now, this confused me slightly. So interesting. So interesting. Mm. Um, Because she said, I was raised at Gracefield, but not this plant. And I thought Gracefield was just this residence, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite clear on what that is. It's minor, but I think maybe Gracefield is possibly the wide, like... Maybe Has like, like say five ten miles west, for example, there could be another very similar farm quite close by. It wouldn't surprise me, uh, which would also explain uh, a thing that we'll find out in a bit when um, Chrome reveals that she too is controlled in her own way. Fun, um, mm. but she mentions that she became a mom basically by being selected from the group um, at her home. Uh, based on two criteria. Firstly, that she was a girl or a woman. And secondly, uh, that she had a high score. Now, as I was watching this scene, my immediate reaction was, holy shit, was Emma possibly candidate material for this? Ooh. I don't want to imagine what that conversation would have gone like. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to save that for the talking point later because there's okay. a lot I want to discuss about the revelation. Um, but yeah, she has essentially been taken from the group and given a choice. Okay, you can either, you know... Rear these kids, look after them, nurture them, mother them, shall we say. Uh, or we've got, you know, the plan B, which is that we'll turn you into a Big Mac and you can go through that door. You know, it's like it's like the Morpheus red pill, blue pill thing, except the blue pill fucking kills you. So <laughs> That's right. You know. Yeah, so not, not a great choice. So not like it at all. <laughs> well, the red pill, you know, wakes you up to right, the, you know, the red pill standing. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. You're right. So there you go. Um, but <clears throat> for me, like, um, I, like, this this is, like, all this stuff that's coming out here, like, I was like, 
already was starting to change my opinion on Chrono Lobe. Um, oh boy, I have a lot we, to say about this. We 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 yeah, we're gonna cover that at the talking point at the end. Uh, Crone um, also reveals that you know she wouldn't recommend it uh, because she also reveals that she has got a gigantic scar down her chest, uh, which is where she says that um, a device that will like a pacemaker that will stop her heart if she goes outside of the you know the farms uh, will trigger. And also serves the function of if her heart stops independently of that because she's been killed, dare say, uh, it will notify the higher up, uh, the higher ups, rather, I mean to say, uh, doing dual duty. So Norman rightly says, oh, wait, well, I guess we couldn't kill them after all. Uh, well, yeah, you could maybe tie them up, hog tie them, you know, stick them out somewhere. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's neither not, that, not nor there. Wasn't there something like that in. Um... Though there was in the newest Fate, what is it called? <sighs> not Fate Zero. Grand Order. No, Grand Order. <laughs> no, not the game. Uh, no, the uh, the, Heaven's Field? the Netflix one. It was Fate. Oh, that's uh, Apocrypha. Apocrypha. I was gonna. I was thinking Apocalyptica for something, but yeah, in Fate Apocrypha. <laughs> no, that's that's some Mel Gibson shit. We don't talk about that. Spoilers for Fate Apocrypha, but uh, there's a lot of like servants being away from their masters like throughout basically the whole show and you're just start to, you sort of i don't know i kind of forgot about it but then they address it later because it's just like if the masters got killed like the servants would die they would know but like one of the other side who was or or i can't god there's so much side changing in that show basically the side that betrays a bunch of the servants is sort of keeping all of them on magical life support they have them all bound and gagged in this chamber that, uh, like, sort of oh, un- unreachable. That like fate, all right. <laughs> and they're just, Great. they're That's basically brilliant. dead, except for they're on magical life support so that the fucking servants won't notice and they're still around to be used. So, yeah, they could do that. They could just, like you said, they could just barely keep, the, keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, so. This, they, they start to negotiate, okay, right, you know, let's help each other out here. I want to become mom of the house because I want to live a comfortable life, you know? Uh, the best life I can have because I can't leave the farms. Uh, and in turn, I'll help you escape. Uh, your escape will bring Isabella down, it'll drag her down, and it will allow me to... Excuse me? It'll allow me to assume control. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Deal with the devil, certainly, and Crone's facial expressions and mannerisms certainly do not help that. But, well, that's part of the point. It would be, like, if it turned out, you know, this was all completely on the level and they had no suspicion after the fact, I would actually not like that at all. I'd find that bit, you know, oh, well, I guess it's all good now. We're all frenzies, aren't we? Yeah, we're all best buds. Come here. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> Big hug. Bear hug. <laughs> um, so Norman is initially on board with this. Um, but Emma intervenes and asks what the guarantee is that she won't betray them. And this is where we get, you know, the Mexican standoff thing, which is that, you know, oh, Crow knows that Ray is, you know, Isabella's spy, and therefore if Ray, you know, told uh, Isabella about this little thing they had going on, then Isabella would, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, start sharpening a knife perhaps, you know? <laughs> Just yeah. a thought. Yeah. Uh, but conversely, conver- conversely, uh, Crow knows that Ray is a double agent, and therefore she could simply go to Isabella and say, uh, you do realize you're a bit fucking dense. That kid's got you wrapped round his little finger. You know, you might want to have him off. 
but yeah, it's Emery who points this out, which I thought was really neat because Norman, as I've said before, is in basically an intellectual. He's like the raw mental power behind the team. Like of the three, I would argue in terms of intelligence, he is probably the smartest. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean he's smartest in every way. Right. Like I would argue Ray is what you might call street smart, even though there are no streets. So you get my point with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Emma Emma has her finger on the pulse of actual people. She's got the most people skills, despite the colossal fuck up she made earlier with, you know, Don. So yeah. this is um, a great way to like just restate what the show has talked about yeah. earlier, right? Like Norman strategist, yeah. Ray tactician, Emma, the charismatic, like sort the of the leader, like the stoker of wills and hearts, you know. Indeed. Um, so Crone says to them, okay, come by my room later and I'll share some more information. An offer which I imagine has never been, you know, accepted before under any context at all. I mean, I, I sure <laughs> fucking wouldn't. How dare you. Oh, gee, gee. Um, and then what follows is the aftermath of that where the group, which is now all five of them, by the way, so that's... I'm going to really apologize here. I've completely forgotten the other girl's name and that's because Gilda? I'm a moron. Thank you. It was something you gave me with a G and I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, so Don, Gilda, Norman, Ray, and Emma are all watching as the sun sets, seeing Chrome playing with them outside, which is again another reminder of the normality in the facade that continues despite their, you know, enhanced knowledge. And they have a long discussion about this. Um, this again is also a reflection of their new group dynamic here, where they now are, you know, operating as a fivesome rather than a free pair, a group of three and a group of two as kind of subordinates. Mm-hmm. Um. They basically nail down that they think they can probably make this work and get some decent information out of her, but they have to play it cautiously. Um, and there's nothing to worry about with regards to like certain things that they have hidden or done, like the ropes. Doesn't matter. Don't have to worry about them. Uh, but the tools that Ray has been gathering to break the tracking devices, if she finds those, that's the reliable evidence she would need to have you know, them shit, to give to Isabel and say, look, you do realize that they're taking you for a mug. You yeah. might want to sort this shit out. I want to give massive props, by the way, to the music of this particular scene. Mm-hmm. Now, this to me, like, I don't know why I thought this, but this to me felt like a JRPG music uh, track for one of those really tense, like, post-battle moments. I know that sounds a bit strange on paper, but, like, it's got that, like, that mood of hopefulness, now that, but also with the gravity of, like, the violin, you know, giving it that sense of, you know, a real weight to what's happening here. There's, like, because this is like, you know, their next step and they're basically mm-hmm. dancing on thin ice with Crone. Because right. while her behavior uh, has been completely nonsensical to us as the audience, imagine what it must be like for the characters to place their trust in someone who outwardly appears to be batshit bonkers. Never mind the fact that she could very well have very good reasons to have rid of them all on her own. So... Yeah, I really appreciate the music and also the lighting and the mood of this. I mean, this is standard for the Promised Neverland as, as as it is, but it's always worth pointing out because otherwise, well, you know, we just get used to it, but it's still yeah. good stuff. Totally. Indeed. Um, so, um, the, Norman and Ray like speak off screen, and then we cut to our next scene, which turns out that, well, it might be the post-apocalyptic future, but Amazon Prime is alive and well, would you believe? <laughs> I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. When the fucking box was at the door, the taped package, I was like, in my notes, Shadon makes Amazon joke. Yeah. It was going to happen? Of course. The only thing that's disappointing, though, is I didn't get to see an outtake of where the pack, like, this box had been stolen by someone. You know, just someone walks by and just picks it up. 
Uh, but yeah, package delivered. Uh, we don't know what it is yet, but we will find out later. Meanwhile, we now get the meeting between um, Crone, Emma, and Norman. Uh, this I I love the direction in this in this whole scene. By the way, for a couple of reasons, I'll I'll state now. First off, um, Crone and the tr the two of them are very rarely, if ever, portrayed in the same framing. Like, and not only that, when Emma and Norman enter the room, they stay close to the door while Crone is on the opposite side. So when we get the long shot of her coming up close to give the tracking device, it really make you know sells that element. Yeah. Um, that that you know they don't want to get too close. They're still kind of either afraid of her or mm -hmm. don't trust her because they are in the lion's den here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I love the way about everything about the way this looks. Yeah. It's, there's one. Um, the only one thing about like this whole like everything in the room was so good, but like, and there's a really neat. Uh, shot where the camera kind of tilts on its side a little before they Dutch enter. Angle, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, look at you with your fancy, your fancy college weights. Um, no, but like before the Dutch angle, uh, when they're in the hallway, there's kind of it's it's not terrible. It was a little distractingly bad. Like we, I can't remember who brought it up recently on Twitter, but there was a talk about like. What anime really needs to start working on is getting right the 2D characters on 3D backgrounds. Oh, Jesus fuck, I hate this shit. <laughs> We've talked about this before in the past, and it's uh -huh. always bad, all the time. <laughs> we talked about like, this so much with Kado, the right answer. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> we talked about it a lot with that, because it was... Uh, it, 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 Dog shit? We talked a lot about <laughs> CG, but like, yeah. in, in other oh. contexts, too. There's just a... a a thing where the perspective like it's like the angle of the camera is like the camera's being kind of lowered to the floor i think and and the mm -hmm. lens uh still kind of pointed at norman and emma and the perspective of the background changes we see the background kind of shift but norman and emma just totally static <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was a bit uh, eye-looking. Hopefully they'll like fix that it for the Blu-ray release. I, f I feel like that's yeah. a thing that they will fix. I mean, otherwise it ends up looking like in Final Fantasy 7, 8, or 9, when characters, you know, state, because there's 3D models on a 2D background, which is kind of the reverse, but then you get a camera shift, and then, oh my god, the models aren't moving, really, but the plate <laughs> is fucking weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand why they're doing this in The Promised Neverland, because they've used CG before, um, mainly for fluid motions of, you know, coming up to a door, for example. And I can understand that because you simply model it in a 3D space and then you have your camera and you move your camera through that over a timeline. Now, I'm a, I must apologize to would-be animators, professionals who know infinitely more than I do about how 3D modeling works. Uh, but the, for me, um, like, I understand why I do it because it's much more fluid than having to redraw that there. But... Every time we've had CG in the Promised Neverland thus far, I'm very sorry to say it has always looks out of place. Mm -hmm. It looks plastic. Yeah, it looks that's the that's the way I that's the way I describe it. Plastic. Um, but anyway, back on topic. <laughs> what? Sorry, chat just made me laugh. We're talking about <laughs> so <clears throat> this this recent string of of comments. Uh, I was talking about the ladies' privilege, quote-unquote, the ladies' privilege in this world, because if you're born a lady, you have a chance of not being turned into brain meat, 
uh, slim chance though it may be, uh, privilege of being a mom, potentially. But if you're born a man, you fucked. <laughs> and like uh, other people were saying, well, men are good for one thing in this world. And uh, Emily said, opening jars. <laughs> and I say, yeah, I that's what we're coming from. To be, to be fair, though, if Agrit Suko is there, if you'd scope by, then it's the women who have the dominance in that particular field, so... That's, that's true! <laughs> I forgot about that scene. There um, you go. There yeah. we go. All right. um, I'm going to actually also add in that there was one directional touch I didn't get in this scene, which was okay. that there's suddenly a random camera shot that zooms in on huh. the doll. Yeah. I'm like, the fuck is that there for? Yeah. The doll's creepy. I get it. <laughs> it ain't fucking child's play. Let's focus on the actual character pattern here. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, anyway. Creepy anyway. doll, just in case you forgot, the doll is creepy. Mm, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I have things to say about the doll later, actually, that uh, okay. will almost come off as an apology for me slandering it before. <laughs> okay. Believe it or not. But I'm, I'm hold interested. That hold, okay. that, hold that thought. Um, so, indeed, there is an exchange of information. Uh, believe it or not, you might think this is uh, just Emma and Norman, you know, getting information from Crone here, and that's it. But no, we will soon learn indeed that she in turn is learning stuff from them. Mm. <clears throat> so first thing to note is that Emma asks to see the tracking device. And this leads into that really nice shot where Crone just walks over, and it goes on just long enough not to be annoying, but long enough to really sell the idea of the distance between them. Even though they have entered this alliance, they are nowhere near close to being genuine allies. Mm -hmm. They don't trust each other. Um, so we see the tracking device. I'm going to make a statement right now that could very well bite me in the ass later, but these tracking devices ain't shit. They're crap. They're absolute crap. I would have a better time tracking someone if I needed to, presumably if I had the application to do it, on my fucking smartphone. These things suck. Why do they suck? First off, if that was meant to be like the layout of the terrain, it it's crap. Can't make out anything. Like, who... How do, you, how do you know who you're tracking? Do you type in, like, their digit code from their neck on there? Is that how that works? And also, it's not in 3D. Like, if you want to track someone, it might help if they were three-dimensional. Mm. Now, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? I'm having, a, I'm having a good chuckle at the expense of how bad these tracking devices are. But that's not a thing that I'm taking against the show, because that could very well become a thing later. I can imagine, like, you know, let's say in the closing, like, episode prior to this one, episode 11, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, like, Isabella, she's got that fucking knife, and she's going to go stab Emma. And she's uh -huh. tracking Emma through the tracking device. But they're going through Grace's house to do it. How is she going to know what floor she's on? That could, be, that could be a, that could be a way of, of, you know, doing tension. So even though these tracking devices are worse than my smartphone, that's fine. That's a good thing to have as a self for laser, you know, storytelling. Uh, but yeah, they, like, the, through them revealing this, Crone learns in turn that, oh, they do know the tracking devices are. And then this leads later into a discussion about the idea of um, how they get rid of them. And they offer an alternative to what whatever Ray is uh, suggesting, uh, which is to um, cut them off at the ear, you know, remove them with a scalpel. Um. And there's a bit of discussion back and forth about this. Now, I'm going to point out that Chrome will later say that uh, Emma and Norman don't seem all too happy about cutting their ears off, and I'm like, no shit. 
Like, really? The fuck did you think they'd say? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll whip that right off, I will. No problem. But Crone says that she can supply them with the scalpel and the necessary antiseptic disinfectant, all, you know, the various things to patch them up after the fact. Uh, and would also, you know, uh, teach them how to do it. But she mentions that they only have materials for five kids to have go undergo this procedure. Bear in mind what we already know, which is Emma wants to get every one of them out. So that's something that we, the audience, know that, again, the characters don't relate to each other. But we can then tell that that's not their intended goal because they are going to go with Ray's plan, whatever that may be. So that's good. Um, Crone also mentions the point that there are indeed humans outside. She hasn't seen the outside because she can only travel between the farm. Which made me curious as to what exactly constitutes the defined limit of one farm to the next, because presumably yeah. there's got to be like a road between it. Is it just underground tunnels? Again, I'm not criticizing the show for this. This is a good mystery element. Mm-hmm. Um, because it also makes it conceivable that, uh, you know, Crone could either be telling the truth here, or she could be lying. Because I can think of reasons why she might be lying, because there's obviously facts like that, like how do you get from one to the other? How do you get to Grace House in the first place, you know? Uh, Mirror is, yeah. of course, entirely correct, which Kaiji would indeed do it. Uh, he would absolutely have that ear off in seconds. Oh, boy. And he would still then get caught before he actually escapes anyway, because that's just Kaiji's yeah. luck, as in he doesn't have any. <laughs> no. Uh, he's also probably the one character I can think of in anime that I've seen who has an uglier design than Crone, and that's fucking saying something, considering Kaiji's, you know, fucking nose is an isosceles triangle, but, well, hey, there we go. <clears throat> anyway... So they mention also the point that the humans, uh, rather, there right are back. humans Hold outside. Oh. Hi, everybody. We're back. I'm so sorry. Uh, I got Doc to- was involved in more enhanced negotiations with Phil for Vargelio's soul. <laughs> it's exactly. Uh, how- yeah. Exactly. Uh, he wants a fucking milk oh. tray now. Jesus Christ. What a prick. I know. Honestly. I know. He wants... The kids, he wants the video game collection. Mm-hmm. He wants, you know, you can only visit them every other weekend. I tried to negotiate it down to every weekend. It's not going to work for him. He's very peculiar. He's a very nurturing type, he says. Very mm-hmm. seems overprotective. But, uh, no, I was, uh, I got asked to move some things, which is a thing that happens if you are the only male in a building a lot of times. <laughs> so, uh, or at least the only available one. So, mm-hmm. that's apologies. I'm going to edit this that out of the VOD in the podcast, but uh, sorry about that. That, you know, doesn't happen often, but it's live television. <laughs> Things can occur. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for the, you know, the Nazis come in uh, through my window or ninjas. And sh- so, anyway, uh, pro tip, please don't swap me. All right, moving on. <laughs> so... When we when we last spoke, we were talking about the scene in which Crone was, you know, discussing with Emma and Norman, like, various things. I mean, a bit of, like, you know, mind games going on here, a bit of banter, maybe a little bit of checking out poker faces, that kind of thing. Uh, so the point that we left off at was the mention that Crone says, oh, yes, uh, there are humans outside, and when you escape, you will have to blend with them. Now, me, I was thinking at this time, there's one key problem here. And again, it's like I said, with the tracking device, this is a good thing because it sets up further conflicts and issues down the line, uh, particularly with how this human society exists, allowing other humans to be eaten alive, which is, how does one exactly blend into a human society outside the farms when they have tattoos in gigantic Times New, New Roman of their code numbers? 
that will clearly mark them out as different. Even if other humans don't know that that means that they were meant to be, you know, eaten at the table by, you know, Mephistopheles and his seven, you know, friends from the nine circles of hell, that still marks them as different and unusual. Makes them dangerous. And I'll just mention that, you know, is there then punishment for people giving them safe harbor? There's a lot to consider here. They all have to be scarf wearers, no matter the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that also... That also sets up the potential for an interesting and nice scene in which they get those tattoos removed, how they go about it, and then becomes a symbolic gesture of them taking their, getting rid of the tattoos and no longer being seen as products, but as people. Because the thing yeah. is, right, um, right, this fully does tie into very quickly the discussion we had while you're away, Doc, where we did mention a little bit of Nazi stuff, as, as is our one. Uh, but even if you've never really, you know, read too much about, you know, not. Nazi Germany and the horrible shit they did in concentration camps. We all know about it. But one of the key things you can always do to dehumanize someone is to change them to a number. Which is the truth of what's happening here with Emma Norman and the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Much as they have their names, their names are only facades to make them, you know, act as people to, you know, keep them under control. In other circumstances, I can't see why mom wouldn't simply say, right... Code 6319, whatever the fuck you are, come over and, you know, wash the dishes. Uh, just to quickly see, to answer your question, uh, Manera, Volgelia couldn't unfortunately make it tonight. She had prior arrangements that just kind of conflicted. So uh, we're having to do as a twosome. She will be back next week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, uh, <clears throat> you know, what would happen if, by your logic, you know, they didn't give them names and just did the numbers? Like, Norman will be standing around, and he would go, I have decided to call myself a name, Hero, and now I'll name the rest of you, too. <laughs> you, you are Ichigo, like Strawberry. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. It, it's, it reminded me when you said they should just go by their numbers. It's like, like that one show <laughs> that we saw. At least, at least neither Ray or Norman are giving the lead female character a name. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on from that, uh, you know, complete, not a skip mark. <clears throat> so, conversation goes like that. Uh, they do get some information out of each other, and then Norman and Ray, Norman and Ray, sorry, Norman and Emma move to leave. And this is the point where Isabella starts doing her best Cesar Romero as the Joker impression by laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right Uh, which is where she reveals that oh 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 i'm sorry you knew about the tracking devices and you knew how to break them without me telling you and you might be wondering why and she says of interesting note here humans have a lot of distinguishing you know characteristics beyond what they say like their facial expressions their eyes and cue of course shots of uh, emma and norman like you know small pupils shaking a little bit um there's their poker face is completely broken. So there you go. Uh, I, that was an interesting line from Chrome, by the way, because she um, said humans, but well, she is human. Why is she referring to you know them as one group where she sees them different? This I'm going to come back to later. So keep that in the back of your mind. Oh, I think I thought she was just meant like I thought it was an inclusive. Like she's like humans have this behavior, and so considering the topic of discussion was previously about demons, though, I'm I thought that was really odd that she would make that specific mention. Uh, yeah. One thing to go. It just struck, it just struck me as explanatory. Um, but it, I mean, it was so. I'm of two minds about this scene, Shadon. Tell me what you think. Like, on the one hand, you know, it it does sort of 
paint this picture of, you know, Sally Crone, body language doctor. Like, I, I am, like, the fucking genius who can tell you everything about yourself based on nonverbal cues. Because, like, we, you and I know about body language, and, like, that doesn't mean we're great at reading people. But beyond, like, the super obvious, well, you know, stuff. Well, I think there's a couple of things that can explain this away. First off, bear in mind what we learned earlier in the episode. In order to become a mom or be considered for mom candidacy, you have to be, incre- like, measured as intelligent on the test they give you. Now, what ultimately that measures is, you know, up to the imagination. We don't know. As far as I was concerned, it's scanning tins of beans. Because that's what they look like. They look like barcodes to me. But by the measurable standard of the smart kids who are our protagonists... That, to me, suggests that Crone, at least in her heyday of their age, was of equivalent, if not better, intellect than the ones here. Secondly, bear in mind... She's a mom. Yeah, yeah, she is also, bear in mind, talking to 11-year-old children. 11-year-old children are, you know, they can lie, but that doesn't mean they're very good at it. So that was, you know, I said I was of two minds. That was the other part, is that beyond, like, you know, if you have any quibbles about, like, uh, the stuff I mentioned before. The other side of the coin is like this mitigates a lot of what Trickster was concerned about, which is you know the banana fish thing with Ash, the kids looking like super ultra geniuses able to do everything. This is one of those scenes that's like, hey, they're eleven year olds, like as smart mm-hmm. as like you said, as smart as they may be, like they. There's things that they forget about. There's tells. There's things that they leave out. Like like you said, they're only so good at lying. They mm-hmm. haven't considered what they're not saying being clues for Crone. So ultimately, I, th- I I really liked that part. It just, when she started launching into the explanation, it did, it, <laughs> it felt a little bit like, have you ever seen, are you familiar with Cypher from the X-Men? Cypher? Cypher. Mm. The character. He's a very obscure X-Man. I was going to say, that was why I was like, was like, like Cypher from Castlevania, yes, no. (laughs) Well, so, Cypher, Cypher's power is that he can understand fluently and speak any language. And so, you think, okay, okay, a person like this would be great to have, you know, in the academy, in the background, doing negotiations, international diplomacy for mutants, but no, he's on the battlefield because he can understand body language, Shadon. And he can read people's movements when they're about to punch. So I was like, Crone is Cypher. It's Cypher, the body language doctor. So. Anyway, Ultimately, right, I mean, it's a great X- X-Men, has, X-Men has bigger problems than that, but right. that is a discussion for a different time. For sure. So, okay, yeah, they get freaked out by that. Yeah, it's um, great. I loved how freaked out they were. So good, yeah. Uh, Crow goes completely, you know, m- absolute batshit manic over this, which I'm not surprised because that's been her character. But bear in mind, I actually now have a theory on that explains this. Um, so just because I'm so I'm just trying to refresh my memory here because there's been a little bit of gap. Anyway, she says we're going to talk again, and she offers up a little nugget, which is that she knows about um, he slash him, uh, but you know. In what I otherwise thought in the working scripts would have gone, you know, uh, tune in next time, <laughs> you know, to be continued on Dragon Ball Z. Um, Chrome doesn't tell them at this point, says he'll tell them next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Which is fair, because we don't want to have, have all the information doled out right here and now. And knowing who he slash him is, that's not immediately practically helpful for them. Like, baby steps. You don't fight the final boss at the end of the first dungeon. They've got the disc one boss and mom to get through first. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, quick backtrack here. A lot of that scene was predicated on facial expressions. And something I want to yep. note is that, yep, Crone's character design is shit. You won't hear me say otherwise, but I felt this was like the least shit it was until she went completely manic. Doesn't unfortunately, you know, remove or dilute the racist elements of that depiction, but that I think is key there, that, you know, she's very plainly natured in her facial expressions. Up to that point, then goes nuts. That's fine. But it also primes you for what follows next, um, which is we have Ray uh, meeting with Isabella. And this is when Ray receives his, you know, presence to finally fulfill his dream of becoming an Instagram influencer, which is to say a Polaroid <laughs> camera. Did it... Did it seem... I mean... It's completely consistent with the material, but just did it seem so incongruous that, like, you know, they're like, don't bat an eye at tracking devices, but they're like, a Polaroid camera! <laughs> you know what I mean? What is this unbelievable technology? Uh, children trackers that you implant, like, ah, fine, fine. I've only uh, read about cameras, though. <laughs> but, hey, I mean, well, that's the environment they're in. Well, in Ray's case, this is the thing I'm getting to. Pay attention when you, if you ever rewatch this scene, for pay particular attention to his facial expressions here, because this is the thing the previous scene primed us for. Mm-hmm. Ray is looks genuinely happy to have received this camera. He sure He's does. actually smiling through a lot of it, which for someone you know who can't see out of one of his eyes most of the time because he's too busy being you know too edgy for everyone else to handle is quite something. And he says, "I was interested in the phenomenon of photographs." Now. I'm of the opinion that he doesn't genuinely believe that to him, as his race wants and, you know, general play style. He just has a, sees this as a means to an end. It's a practical thing. And this is just a facade. That's why he takes the picture. He's playing a part. Whereas, you know, Emma and Norman completely flakes under Crone's withering stare. Under, you know, Isabella, the, you know, the character person he's got wraps around his thumb, he's handling this naturally. It even takes a picture of her, which I jokingly uh-huh. said on Twitter uh, was going to develop and it's going to turn out she wasn't going to be on the photograph because yeah. she would turn out to be some sort of like fucking vampire or some shit. Yes. Uh, that does turn out to be true. Uh, that she not that she turns up on the picture, not that she's a vampire, although I wouldn't put it past we this show know. at this point. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Um, Ray also cryptically mentions about that matter can be so after lunch, which I think is what happens later. It's a thing to mention. It's got to uh, be. Anyway, it's got to be him being sold off. Oh, because that's not happening until next year. Lunch is definitely... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh that's right. Because... Oh, so I was thinking it was January. No, it's November. You're right. Yeah. It, I was going to say, they're not going to skip lunch for two <laughs> fucking months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after lunch in January. Yeah, no, I guess, like, it's whatever he set up to distract her for yeah. the plan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking this is just him, you know, getting crone thrown under the bus later. Like, that's, like, he's preemptively doing that because... As we've discovered before, Ray tends to, you know, march to the beast of his own drum. So, <clears throat> we have a brief intermission here where, you know, like, clock's ticking, and I think this is meant to be a reminder that time is indeed running out, uh, although they do technically have two months, but then again, anything can happen as we, you know, learn here. Um, Isabella mentions it's about time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. Time to have, you know, her elevenses. Time to have supper. 
uh, time can to I, catch the reruns? I don't fucking know. Can I posit a theory? But, uh, yes. It's about time to get Crone the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. I think she had mm-hmm. as much to do with uh, Grandma or whoever from HQ sending that letter as anyone. Mm-hmm. I think she was feeling a little too infringed upon by the old uh, sister. So Yeah. I'm of the opinion Ray possibly still also involved himself in that, because there's a thing later where we mm. see him smiling to himself, and that is immediately before Crone gets her comeuppance. So I'm thinking he probably prompted her to do it, or at least planted the idea. I see. But anyway. maybe, yeah, maybe he's playing them both, because he clearly left a note yeah. for Crone, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll like, like I say, he manages to be his own drum, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if he said, oh, you guys want to have an alliance with this lady who we clearly can't trust? Well, fuck you, I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fuck, fuck this, you know... The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Bullshit. Not that, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, that would also apply to him, ironically enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But hey, never mind. So, outside in the you know, garden area where they, where they all are, Ray's showing off the camera. Uh, he's actually taking more pictures at this point. Um, Don and Gilda, you know, they have a plan that, you know, to go and inspect the outside of the wall. With Don and Gilda at his lookouts, um, Emma and Norman uh, climbing the wall itself. Uh, we don't see this episode, but that's fine. That's all good. Um, they also have a discussion I think in a, a little bit after Don and Gilda go separately to go and play with some of the kids uh, which is where they discuss maybe up the escape day and this is where Ray shows them the camera and says I have the necessary kit now I need in order to um, break the tracking devices how one does this with a camera is up for speculation but it doesn't really matter because diegetically it can be any number of reasons like why uh, but I actually think the camera serves a different purpose here okay um now, this is going to sound like a strange comparison, but bear with me on this. For those of you who've seen JoJo's Part 3, Stardust Crusaders, yeah, I know I'm going there with this. Oh, um, always. <laughs> we always. 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 Um, there's a scene much later on in the show's run in the Egypt parks where the five of them, uh, Jotaro and the others, uh, they actually take a photograph of themselves mm-hmm. on their journey. And this journey has been, well, I mean, I would call it bizarre, but that'd be too easy. That's like, you know, that's that's default. That. Uh, bit shit, to be honest. Like, so many fucking people have tried to kill them. It's mm-hmm. not even funny. But it has still been a journey in which they bonded. And I'm curious if this camera will survive whatever purpose it's needed in order to break the tracking devices and will make a return later hmm. as a way of, you know, documenting their lives here. Because Ray, like, you know, Mr. You know, cold-hearted bastard that he is. He takes a photograph of Emma and Norman, and they look completely like dogs. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> and he says, "You weirdos." <laughs> yeah, but he, but he says it with genuine affection. That was, uh, yeah. He actually does care about them. It was like one of the few times his armor actually came down, I... and we got to see him actually care about people. That's one of those moments where, like because of what I know, it hit me even more, like, as them seeding stuff. So, I'll say no more than that, but, like, it was uh, it was a moment that I loved deeply. Mm. It was it was very good. Um, so, Crone, however, you know, is doing her usual shit. She's, you know, looking after a doll, talking to herself, going completely bonkers. Um, she's reflecting on the conversation she had with Emma and Norman, mm-hmm. and figures, you know what? I'll go check out the room. And she does. She goes into the room and pulls back the bed. I don't know how she immediately defined that's where it would be, but doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's convenient. Who gives a shit? Uh, then, of course, you know the true warden and ruler of this castle, Phil. Uh, <laughs> and so he goes, what are you doing? 
<laughs> of course he's there at that moment. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's and the I, last I would, Yeah. And I'm still waiting for the moment in which Phil, like, you know, rather going, Hello! What you doing? He just goes, Moon? This is the Elder. <laughs> what have I told you? Severe. <laughs> Go about your business. Behave yourself. Thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, he just walks up to her and puts a hand on her shoulder and just yeah. goes, "Light, light, the, light." <laughs> he says, "Fear the old blood." <laughs> That's it. Just yeah. Phil, Phil is basically like the Phil is basically like the kid from the end of Mass Effect Three, except it's not a shit ending. Thank God for that. Oh, but anyway, <clears throat> anyway, so indeed, uh, Crone finds a note. And her reaction to this note initially made me think that it was going to say something like, eat shit, or, haha, got you, or it was going to be a drill tweet, but it was none of those things, it turns out. Uh, it was... <laughs> a drill tweet, you, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like, it is apparently the truth about Isabella, whatever this is. Um, I don't know, some scandalous, you know, OK Magazine shit. Uh, turns out she's, you know selling fake shit on eBay, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but this is like what Ray has like left there as a note, which has armed Isabella with some knowledge here. Now, not Isabella, sorry, Chrome with some knowledge. Whether or not this is true, we don't know. We don't even know what it is yet, so we're going to wait and find out. Um, so as she's doing that, she like starts packing a suitcase um, and then is confronted at her door of her room after, you know, going completely gaga on the bed uh, by Isabella. And she's like, knife? Yeah, and it basically seems to imply, if not outright stated, that Crone is to be sent away from uh, Grace House. Uh, whatever reasons they are for that are ultimately irrelevant because it can just be, you know, because I fucking said so, or, you know, on false pretenses. Uh, it me initially looks like that she's going to, you know, Isabella's going to stab Crone, but that's not the case. I'm very sorry to say for people who don't like her that much. Bell next time. And that is the conclusion of the episode. Uh, looks like Crone, you know, the ace in the hole that the kids have got a hold of is already being sent away. But that being said, she knows something about Isabel that may or may not be true. So the game is still on. It's not over yet. I love it this, may not necessarily live immediately. I love this dynamic. Like, so much of, like, the double agentry. You know, people... Mm-hmm. Uh, Crone putting herself uh out there as like let's let's do this alliance but like she'll still fuck them over like whoever whoever kind of like not shows their hand but who whoever is weakest first whoever shows the most vulnerability first she's mm-hmm. like whether it's kids or mom she's going to like boom snap on it cuz she doesn't give a fuck about the kids or and she hates Isabella um and she just wants to climb the ladder of this system, which I think is interesting based on, like, some other things we'll talk about in a few minutes. And the kids are the same. They're, like, pl- so they're obviously, they're not necessarily playing crone, but, like, they, like, are using her, don't trust her. There's all that. And mom is the same way with Ray and with crone. There's so much kind of double agentry. And I think, like, crone just flew a little too close to the sun. And she's that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, 
in the like Nearest said, you know, like the knife panel in the manga was amazing. It was it was wasn't so good in the anime. Uh, I can't comment on that because I've not read the manga, but I will say that you might recall earlier when I said about uh, Norman and Emma never be really being featured in the same frame as Crone because you mm. know they're not on the same group. Same thing here. Isabella and Crone are barely, if at all, featured in the same shot. And certainly not in the way that, you know, you can see them both in profile. Indeed, when we see Isabella hand them the note over, always looking from, she's outside the room. She's outside Crone's domain. So again, you can read that as dramatic positioning to infer their relationship because this show is fucking good at that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like someone actually thought about this shit, which I love. Using so, space. Kudos, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I talked about this a little bit in Banana Fish, but it's never been used this degree. And to the show's credit, it's also thankfully not overly used to the point where it's too blatantly obvious. Like, it's there to inform you, but not to, you know, smash it into your face. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, that's uh, the first day of November, and what a, well, what a fucking month Ooh. that's going to turn out to be. Oh, boy. Um, right. Talking points. Talking Who wants to go first? Points. You or me, Doc? I will go first. Hit it. Um, Punch it, Chewie. <laughs> yes, I will. God damn it. Just they keep coming. Um, look, That's the second one, to be fair. I it's don't know great. Why. No, I'm, this is this is only faux anger. This is actually, like, makes me very happy. I love running gags more than life. The more we do this, the more power it will give me. Um, <laughs> so, um, and... Just because I, I I understand if anybody needs to go if the stream gets a little long this week because uh, we had the big unfortunate break, um, but I don't want to skimp on the talking points this week, so I, I have a lot to say. Um, so first one I want to talk about though probably won't get too deep into, but I just really liked the fact that you know Norman at the very beginning of the episode he kind of takes command of the room at least for the kids mm-hmm. and is like. It's okay, everybody. I got this. Let's hear her out. Hear her out. All right, this is great. In my Norman brain, I've thought about how I'm going to use her. We're going to use her. Starts to shake out the hand. And then Emma says, like, actually, no. No, 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 no. I actually have the final say on this. I'm actually thinking outside of the box that is your Norman brain. I really liked the fact that she has this scene where, like, because other people, who shall never name, rename, who shall remain nameless, have, you know, been saying, ah, like, Emma's shown to be dumber than the boys. Like, uh, Emma can run fast and that's it. Like, why is she part of the pe- strategy meetings or whatever? But Have like, people been watching the fucking show? I know. It's like, I'm here... Dickheads. <laughs> here you have... Sorry, Bob Conn is a scene. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, it's... It, Emma is a is a wonderful character, and... In this moment, she has, you know, admittedly Ray is not present, but she's she is showing that like she has value in terms of the planning and the thinking, the strategizing, the tacticianing. Yeah. She steps up and says, actually, what we need is not to shake hands, we need a guarantee. So she was able to get better terms for this deal. Uh mm-hmm. and, and get out in the open some assurances. So I really, really liked that. That's that's mm, my first. I agree. Point. I agree. All right. Um, I suspect that this talking point of mine, I'm going to leave this out, might conflate it's a little bit with yours. So I apologize in advance, Todd. Um, I want to firstly talk very briefly about uh, youth adventure fiction, which I've spoken about before. Um, we're talking shit like the Hunger Games, Maze Runner. I would even argue 
people will probably quibble with us. I would even argue that eight, uh, UBW and Heaven's Field, that particular period of time in the Fate franchise, is that, merely because of the characters it focuses on. Why am I bringing this up in Relations Promise Neverland apart from the obvious similarities? Because for me, youth adventure novels, um, the general idea of them, it's an expansion of the idea of growing up from being a child to an adult, taking on more responsibility, becoming more knowledgeable of the wider world and losing preconception. That's why a lot of these stories tend to take place in closed environments, like a farm, which then, you know, is revealed to be a fiction, not even not so much a lie. I think lie is perhaps the wrong word, but a fiction that's been provided to the kids or the characters, mm-hmm. uh, which they then, you know, learn about and then have to take responsibility in overcoming or discarding and coming to, you know, maturity. That was the case, you know, in Fate, because Shiro and Co. found out about the Holy Grail War, and then they learned more and more about that as it went along, learned more about each other and what it meant. I mean, hell, Shiro, spoilers, yeah. uh, learns in the most extreme way possible what will happen to him in the future if he continues on his path of, you know, pure white morality. But anyway, why is this relevant? We found out in this episode that girls who are smart and are recommended by moms can become new moms. And that has definitely been the case for both Isabella and Crow. Mm-hmm. And I think this revelation, without being overt about it, completely explains a lot of Crone's behavior. Now it doesn't explain her character design. That's still shit. Mm-hmm. There's no. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that. Don't say <laughs> me to say that. I'm not saying that. Right. But think of it this way, right? We see Crone dancing a lot, being manic, being hyperactive. We see her with a doll. The doll is very patched up. And the obvious metaphor or visual allegory for that is it's reflective of her psyche. Let me throw a theory out there. If Crone is indeed, as she has said, you know, a kid who was raised in a farm and then was told at the age of 12, oh, Crow, you know, <laughs> we just wanted to tell you that we want you to become a mom, but the reason you're becoming a mom is because you're going to end up rearing children to send them to become hamburgers for demons. Okay. Okay. We've packed you a lunch. Get on the bus. Yeah. yeah. Can you can you imagine what that knowledge would do to a child? Yeah. I am willing to bet you ten quid. Um by the way, Doc, before I say this, remind me again, is it true that the doll is an anime adapt only adapt thing? Like uh, to the best of my knowledge, I mean I having gone back through a couple weeks ago the first several chapters, like I didn't see it. I'm I'm pretty sure that it doesn't exist. That anytime she's talking to the doll in the manga, she's just thinking. Okay. Ten quid. Ten quid on the table right now that whoever put the doll in the anime was meaning it to be doll she had as a child before she became the mom she is now. Right. Something that she has kept with her since then. Like little buddy was to Connie. Why do I say this? Because... I think that the revelation of the world, the thing that I mentioned before about Jung adventure novel, like, that's a part of those novels and part of that, that kind of fiction. It's also a question of what you deal with and how you react to it. Mm-hmm. I think it broke her. I think it absolutely broke her. I think she is still a child. She mentions that she's 26 yeah. around that age. Yeah. But in her head, I would say that she stopped aging that day. She is still the 12-year-old she always was. Just dealing instead with the adult situations in front of her. Explains the manic behavior, explains the dancing, explains, you know, the fact that she talks to herself a lot when she's in her own room, that she keeps the doll with her. She's a broken person. Mm -hmm. 
all of the stuff that I previously hated about her, where she was chewing and hamming up the seedry, has been completely redefined by this one revelation. Now, I'm going to freely admit I'm probably reading into this quite heavily. I'm taking nope. it because I don't want the alternative of, oh, we just made her a complete lunatic for the fucking sake of it. Yeah. But yeah, um, I really, really appreciated this revelation for how it's recontextualized her character and even made me feel a little bit of sympathy for her. Now, granted, she is still doing the, you know, evil thing here of um, sending children to their deaths willingly. Yeah. But I can understand why, because you've got a choice. You either become hamburgers or you get to live on. And maybe, you know, when Chrome was much younger, she, you know, found the first couple of days of being a mom or mom's even very difficult. I can imagine a scene playing out in a prequel, for example, where after the first child goes under her watch, she hides in a room and cries to herself because she can't deal with it. But then passenger time happens, you become cold and numb to it. This also explains Isabella. And in Isabella's case, we mentioned before the idea or the theory that maybe she's keeping behind those trophies, mementos, to deal with the grief, like, you know, to remind, you know, because she can't cope with the fact she keeps doing that. Isabella's gone through a similar thing, I would argue. I mean, heck, we can also, we can see that because we have a character who is nearly that age when this would happen, who has been burdened with that knowledge, and that's Ray. Ray's character is completely explained by him finding that knowledge out Mm -hmm. at a much younger age even. But I I would wager that Isabella, when she was Ray's age, was probably a lot like him. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, and maybe that also explains why they feel, in some way, comfortable with dealing with each other because they, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate the similarities in their characters. Spot on, I think. Spot yeah. on. And Ray so, is much more well adjusted to the fucking madness that is reality than Crone because he found mm-hmm. out early. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. Ugh. But go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So the final thing I'll leave off on here, though, is that all three of these characters I mentioned: Crone, Isabella, and Ray. This world has damaged them through this responsibility it's put on, or in turn with Ray, just the knowledge itself. And I think I think of Emma for a minute. Emma is the heroine of this story, well, because she's the main female character, of course. But why is she the why is she the lead character? Like people of people who can't actually watch this show, or you know, presumably have horse blinders. Um, like they don't get why she's the main character. But here's the thing. What this show has shown us thus far, apart from the... Like I said before, I was struggling to get an emotional connection with things, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't know what the fuck Connie was. Like, she was a character who conceptually died in the first episode to prove shit got real. That's me being cold towards that. I'm not, I'm not being that cruel, genuinely. But I think what this episode has now done for me is it showed me what the world has done to the people who are still alive in it. It's left them damaged and broken with either, you know the trauma of learning what the world is, uh, that it's, they just exist as food for monstrous creatures beyond human imagination. Yeah. And with Emma, um, I could imagine that Emma would have been selected to be a mom. Like, had she never found out, I could conceivably see that happening. And she, I mean, I think that maybe she would have certainly thought about it, but I wouldn't put in, said it would be completely impossible for her to think, well, either I live or I die, I'll live, and maybe I can potentially work my way out of it. Within the system, I can change it or something, yeah. Yeah, and then unfortunately that then just turns her into, you know, Isabella 2.0. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to think she would be in consideration for it, as intelligent as she is, but as nurturing as well, so. Oh, easily, easily. 
if she'd have never found out, I, I feel absolutely confident in an alternative timeline that was what happened, would have happened. But that's why she's the heroine of this story, because she's the one who, as this story has gone on, or will go on, uh, has to retain that, uh, you know, nurturing and caring and empathetic nature that has been, you know, trampled on or scarred or mutilated in people like Crone or Isabella or even Ray. Why else do you think the Ray slowly getting a little bit of his own, you know, connection back and how he's mm. struggling, well, not struggling so much, but more like, you know, for someone who is pure, I've never connected with anyone ever because I know they're going to be turned into Big Macs. Like it's that we see him now out. taking that. <laughs> yeah, we see that. We see that photograph being taken. Yep. We see him treasuring it. So there you go. It so t- takes me back to the picture on the wall he saw, remember? When he was mm-hmm. just like, mwahaha, mwahaha, scheming. And then he sees the picture and he's like, oh, shit. I really do care about these fuckers. <laughs> I know. They're a <laughs> bunch of dimwits, but I they're my dimwits. They are, yes. So this one, this is something I love about what doing in this particular format. Because up until now, I mean, you can go watch the videos, I've been like, I can't fucking stand her! She's just... Jesus Christ! She's like a wood chipper and she's going to go through the entire scene bit by bit and leave all these sawdust in her wake. And she's also a fucking racist cartoon. Great! Fucking brilliant! And the latter still applies. The former, though, gone. Because of one simple change that happened in this episode. One revelation that was significant, but not overly raw or overly hammered home. Yeah, I really, really, really fucking appreciate it. So good shit to this show for doing that. All right. Here's me uh, responding to everything you said. I'm going to say that I might even take it a little bit further. I'm going to say that I really, really now am in the camp of liking anime crone and the adaptation of her. Everything that we dislike about this character and her presentation um, at this point is from the manga. I don't think that they can have the, the like authority to just do a character redesign. In fact, um... it's it's worse in the manga. It's even worse and more grotesque and like exaggerated mm-hmm. because of the the great detail they get to put into certain shots and the, the, where they choose to put emphasis. It's even worse, right? So I am putting at the doorstep of the manga all the stuff that I don't like, which is at this point regarding Crone for me, um, the character design. I think the other things I've had problems with, like you just said, this episode has done a lot to remedy those. I want to like read a very short passage from there is mo- this is mo- it's mostly an image blog. Uh, it's called Random Curiosity, um, but they do short little write ups, and uh, the author there who did this one is called Passerby. Um, They say, I know the manga readers out there have found issue with the way Crone has been portrayed in the anime, but I think I understand why they did it. Crone is crazy. She has to be. Her job is to raise children with love for a decade and then send them off to die horribly. Sure, she really has little other choice but to do what she does, but something inside Crone must be very broken for her to embrace her position Mm -hmm. with such relish. Contrast Isabella, who is always professional and perhaps even regrets her own inhumanity. This episode is showing us that, like, the really, like, the 
the odd one, right? The the one to be like, how do you turn out this way? Is Isabella, you know, because she's just like, I mean, she's this fucking cold assassin. She's she's like the consummate professional mom. She's been chur- mm-hmm. churning out these high quality I products. I disagree a little bit on the professional side. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. So Crone played, played, quoted the rule book. The kids know they got to be shipped out. And on top of that, on top of that, Isabella got word for separately, independently from, you know, grandma, ship them out. So she's got two incentives to get rid of those three. So why hasn't she done it? Okay. So, no, that's a good point. Maybe professional is not the right word, but... um. This, no, I'm not, I, this is by the rule but so i think there's professional there's like she's not professional when it comes to being always and 100 percent by the book but she's mm. doing what needs to be done to get the to be her best at her job she's mm. even coloring outside the lines a little bit to get these three kids to turn them into grade a products she thinks she can still do it even if mm. they know what they know. And well. she thinks she's good enough at her mom job. Um, and what, and there's, but there's levels to her thinking, right? Because this is the top level, the like, I'm fucking Isabella. I am the mom for this plant of Grace Fieldhouse. <laughs> I can do anything. Like I, I've been churning out the best quality products for he slash him for years. I'm the best at this. <laughs> I got this crone back up. But like on another level, she has all the toys. And, mm. and she, like you said, she's got this relationship with Ray, who I think it's totally spot on of you to say, like, she there's like a simpatico there because of them being kind of similar in finding out the truth. Birds with knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, the thing, the thing is, um, I the point I was making about her, you know, not shipping them out. That's again, I must stress, not a criticism of the plot. It's not a plot hole. Because if you think of it this way, what if that's her, you know, with the trophy sing, pairing? She's delaying it. She's stalling because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to ship those three out. Mm. Think of it that way. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, that is. That's the contrast. To, that's the contrast to Crone's mania here, because Crone is broken, as I speculate, from the knowledge that she got from learning about, you know, the demons and all that. And that's manifested itself in a very extroverted kind of, you know, I'm still a child in an adult's body, forced to do horrific adult things, and I'm going to express it in that particular way. Exactly. Whereas in the case, whereas in the case of Isabella, hers is, you know, very introverted, very, you know, internalized. We don't see much of her reactions, if ever. Mm-hmm. I could be completely off base on this, but I think it's a reasonable explanation for why she's not shipped them out. Because if she was just simply coldly professional, they'd have been gone. We'd be, we, you know, Onion Kid would be the fucking protagonist of this show by now. <laughs> you, you see, you see that little dipshit gave them out. I don't mm-hmm. buy it. Anyway. So, so like to continue, and I'll I'll jump back in by addressing something Manira said in chat that like she they mostly agree with what I was saying, but still has a problem with uh, mannerisms of Crone, and I think that as actually that problem is is a problem because it's compounded on top of her character design. If her character yeah. design was 
entirely different was not a person of color with these like super gross like mega stereotype features her being a character that is you know childlike extroverted singy jumpy happy like i don't i don't think we take issue with it now admittedly this is hypothetical maybe we'd still be annoyed by it but mm. i think i just think it's 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 so impossible to like extricate that stuff from the character design that I, I think that's why we have an issue with it, that it's the presentation is all of it together. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned this last week, uh, crone, spicy, Isabella, icy. And, <laughs> you know, they really like, they really leaned into it. Like you said, the stuff with the doll being this connection to her childhood. I wonder if that's like, the one kind of connection she has to humanity at this point, because her job, I mean, she probably like, I mean, like passerby said, she just, she's very gleeful about her job. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just so, I, gosh, I'm losing my way here because I'm just thinking about how broken she has to be. And it's so entirely, it's so entirely fucked up. And yeah, I mean, in the manga, so just real quick, uh, just in the manga, this is what I meant to lead into. Crone is another way that they show how monstrous the world is. She's I, she's not as um, outsized in her childlikeness. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an information conduit, and she's extremely cruel, and like the crazy faces and gross stereotyping stuff is as present as ever, but like they don't present her as they they don't lean into as strongly the contrast between she and Isabella. Mm -hmm. And, and I like that. And, you know, Emily in chat mentions that this could be the director's way of subtly kind of nudging us toward thinking about and feeling sorry for her because of the trauma and how it's affected her. And I think that that's an interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, when I say like, you know, that the trauma was the revelation uh, of the world and what it means. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can think about that in the moment, like how many friends did Crone have at that point Mm -hmm. who she suddenly realized they're all going to die and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Yeah. Because obviously she refused, but how could she fight back? I mean, she's on her own. doesn't matter. But then, of course, there's the trauma that follows that. Oh, I'm now 18. I'm going to, you know, run the house. I'm going to try and do something for these kids. And there's not a damn thing she can do. And she sees the first one go. Breaks the fucking heart. Second one. Breaks her heart again. Mm. Third one. Maybe it's incredibly painful, but the heart stays whole. The heart doesn't shatter. Then you press on and on and on. Gets to the 30th. Just doing the job. That's it. Mm. So mm. I, yeah, Damn. like I can, to- I can totally, <laughs> yeah, I can totally, I can totally infer like, I mean, this is the thing. This is all inference. So maybe I, I'm giving credit where it is not due. But I think that it is a reasonable explanation for A, the presence of the doll in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, after all, if you're, you know, like one of the things that happens when you deal with traumatic events or 
or trauma is you generally sometimes may want to speak to other people about it. Mm -hmm. And there are many reasons why you might not want to do that or end up not doing that despite wanting to. Uh, I can attest to the fact there have been many things in my life that I've wanted to speak about that really fucked me up or fucked me off. And I found it difficult to get it out there because actually the act of talking to someone else is difficult. Well, what about talking to yourself or talking to an inanimate object? There you go. Yeah. Do you see where I'm going with that? I do. So, uh, yeah, this one thing, like, I, really, I, I, this is the thing I had to sleep on and I had to think about. Yeah. When I was, when I first watched this episode, I was like, well, we, we learned things, but that's it. I don't know. But then, <laughs> we learned things. But then, like, we learned, you know, we learned things, but <laughs> then I thought about it. I thought, wait a minute, what does this mean for the character? What does this mean for the world? What does this mean, you know, to change my perspective of things? And I thought, I was like, oh. Yeah. How the fuck did they make me care about her? Jesus. Me too. That's a, that's, that is a quite the, you know, the magic trick there for rising, in my opinion. And which it's, it's crazy to me that, like, and I'm sure you can speak on this based on what you said, Crone still really wants to climb the ladder <laughs> to success. Like, she's been broken by the, the the revelation of the world, you know, being what it is. And it's fucked her up. And either in spite of that or because of that, I don't know which, she has decided... That she wants to be on top of this fucked up system instead of mm. tear it down. And I mean, that's when systems break you, they break you. And, and that's a, mm -hmm. it seems like a natural kind of reaction. But man, it's just like clearly it did hit her really, really hard and and skew some things in her. Um, mm -hmm. But just the fact I mean, that she see... still wants to climb the ladder is crazy to me. <laughs> well, there's that old saying, isn't it? Uh, be wary, ye who fight monsters. Right, right, totally. Um, mm -hmm. A very quick um, next point, next point is that uh, I discovered, I'm not going to call him Bobby, his name is Don. Don, um, who's out there seeing Soditama? Um, uh, I know you have not. Uh, blissfully, well, not blissfully, just <laughs> no, blissfully. no, 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 no. Yeah, it is woeful. You should remedy that because it is by the same. It is directed by Mister, I believe Nakamura, who directed um, Trapeze. But uh, so this is a wonderful show, and that time when Don goes, "Oi, I'll play with you, children!" Like his voice went up an octave, and I was like, "Oh." You're Haru from Suritama. You're the alien boy. <laughs> like, look, please, out, someone out there, look that up and confirm whether or not that's true. Because he sounded just like the cute alien boy Haru from Suritama. Please look that up. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'll offer one final point here. Um, again, with the uh, just to rephrase or restate a little bit of what I spoke about before. So we understand that there are humans now around in the world. Um, mm. Emma's asks the question, when did the demons come about? Which to me, in her mind, suggests they were not always a thing. And given that it's based on Earth, as we can tell from the maps, that would seem right. to be the case. They must be a recent development. But what I'm finding interesting about this is that if there are humans out there, 
and this society has come about now where humans are demons. Well, some of them are, you know, the privileged, and those are the not privileged, as in the what kids who have been turned. Fuckers! <laughs> God, you see where I'm going with this? This is another development on the idea I've pitched since this show started uh, that examines the idea that okay, there can be monsters in plain sight that are disgusting and horrible slimy odious they, they devour you know the souls and the flesh of human beings and all that kind of stuff but as i've said you humankind can be just as monstrous to each other and so you think about it those humans living out there are they complicit in all this they they totally are they are mm. because they mention there are at least so if we're to take crone at her word she's like there are other humans out there that are on equal standing with them well, they bring that's you the food thing. and I... clothes. They bring them here. They have to get made from mm-hmm. outside and brought to the farm. Yeah, it feels like that. This is some fucking like peace treaty shit that we're like, okay, mm-hmm. human demon war is over. Humans lost, but demons don't want to keep fighting to the end. So, what we'll do is give you like X percentage of our human babies to fuck mm-hmm. up and eat. Yeah. God. Well, could be, could be could be a number of reasons. But I mean, the thing that I feel this kind of slots in close to is of all things half-life 2 you know aliens come in uh, well aliens you can replace with demons like uh, extra normal forces we'll call it. <laughs> um they come in take over and there's a capitulation these guys live and you get to you know use these guys as produce um, you know, if we grow them from scratch and that's all they ever do and they're not ripped from the actual, you know, arms of their mothers or whatever, mm-hmm. it's not so bad. You know, it's amazing how moral standards can change or diminish over time in face with adversity like that. Right, right. Um, but we need we need more knowledge about the world but to truly make a conclusion about it. But I am very curious to find out. I'm admittedly going to say I don't think we're going to find out in season one. I'm of the opinion this season is the escape and then the rest is what follows after. Which is a good point to cut it off at. I mean, you were away, Doc, but we were discussing Violet Evergarden briefly in, in the chat. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned how the show ends before it ends in the same way as Erased Us. Mm. Because the character arc concludes in episode 8 out of like 10 or 11. <laughs> Whoops. So I'm of the opinion that, you know, it might be a good idea for the escapes to happen in the final episode. And then they're all out. And then it's like the wide open world ahead of them. Uh, cut to credits. See you season 2 in 2021 or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, man, like, okay, so let's talk racing sex. I don't have anything more to say. Okay, well, I, I do have some more to say. Uh, Go, carry on. Have we seen Crone's boots before this episode? I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to say that I never, I never paid any attention to that. What, there's a poll up, do you like the boots? I was struck by, like, I was like, she's wearing like, these high boots. May I did not, that's like a little fashion, just a little, little twi- you know, a little bit, a pop. I was like, man, those are those regulation mom boots? I haven't seen well, what be fair, mom's footwear is. To be fair, given Crone's attitude, those boots really are made for walking. <laughs> they are. Yes, it's true. Um, I also really, you know, we talked about this in the summary, but I think it's just worth saying again that, like, scary mom Isabella like scary smiling frog face mom like oh my god you know we we've seen scary like menacing like i'm i'm going to be angry and hurt you mom that time 
when she was probing Emma. But, like, when she hands Isabella, I mean, uh, when Isabella hands Crone the letter and holding the knife with just, like, yeah. total, like, complete mask, so understated and soft, you know, like, well, I guess it's time for you to go. <laughs> like, fucking hell, man. Scary as shit. Yeah. And, like, Crone reacting to her is what really like, sells it. She's just, like, like opens the door. When it's her, she freaks out. When she holds out the knife, she freaks out even more. Like, I'm going to get stabbed. And she's just super emotional and ah, terrified. I've... And Isabella very much just, like... Well, I've nice. just had a thought, actually. Uh, hold, hold on to your hats with this one. Uh, because I think this, I've just realized something about Isabella. If you want to know how cruelly cruel she is, think of it this way. What did we learn in this episode that Crone showed off to the gang in the forest? The, you know, the AED slash, you know, uh, radio transmitter implanted in her chest. Oh, yeah. If her heart beats right. off. Mm-hmm. So, can you imagine, right, the heat that would have brought onto Isabella if she, didn't, if she had murdered Crone? in the Grace house where the kids could have potentially seen that. Because obviously if she stabbed her to death then, the, you know, I was like, wait, what the fuck? Who killed her? Like, oh, I did. What the fuck are you doing? You're killing the fucking sister in front of all the kids that we're trying to raise for food here? Are yeah. you fucking nuts? Yeah, that would have been bad. So here's, here's the thing. Now, obviously, we, we know for well from the events of the episode that Isabel didn't mean to kill Crow. But I could totally buy that she was meant to make it look like she was to mm-hmm. fuck with her and yes. to prove that. And, yep. that. and there's your evidence right there because of that. Yes. Because obviously she's not going to kill Crone and have that tracking device or, like you know, heart monitor go off and have the heat come down on her as a result. We're supposed to think everything she does like that and the way characters react, like she meant for them to react that way. You know, based mm-hmm. on based on like the very first thing of mom showing the kids the tracking device, and it, so much has kind of fanned out from there of the kids thinking like, okay, mom showed us that on purpose. What does she want us to know? What does she want us to think that she's watching us? That she knows where she is. Oh, she thinks we're going to react this way, so we should react this. Way. So, like, I think, yeah, like you're totally right. The fact that we got that reaction. She wasn't going to do it, but she definitely wanted that from Crone. She wanted that moment. Mm-hmm. Fucking savor it. What a... And... Oh, <laughs> man. This episode is so efficient with Cold. delivering points out there that inform later actions and even earlier actions. It's fantastic. I'm genuinely impressed by it. Man. So man. good. So good. Um... All right. All right. So, ratings, uh, let's let's conclude our talk on the first day of November in the Promised Neverland timeline. Uh, mm-hmm. What a fucking day that was, Jesus Christ. Um, Doc, do you want to go first with your racing, my friend? Uh, yeah, sure. I honestly haven't thought about it very much, but talking about the episode has helped me come to terms with the fact that I think that this episode is totally, like, for me... Uh, it definitely made me feel like last episode I mentioned not not as kind of gripping or entertaining for me. This one much more so. I'm going to give it uh, 4.5 yellow boots with heels out of 5. And I think this episode might have... Like I saw a YouTube video. I didn't see the video, but I saw a title called I Wish I'd Never Read The Promised Neverland. 
And that made me think, like, you know what? I think while this season's airing, I'm not going to read anymore. And I bet the season will end, the anime will end before it gets past where I've read. Uh, But now I'm wondering if I should just stop reading entirely. Uh, And then the next season (laughs) go in totally blind because I really like not knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough, my friend. Um, for me, this is probably the tightest episode thus far on the rising side because just the small little touches it has in delivering like things that shift our perspective on characters. I, again, big inference from me could be making shit up entirely, could be completely off base. You know, the person who wrote the episode or even the manga could have just literally said, oh no, I just wanted the, you know, a bit of Crohn's to be crazy because I wanted to be crazy. It's the, like, that's it. It's, there's no, you know, no deeper fucking meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but again, directional touches were really on point with this episode. Character staging, lighting, angles. The same stuff that we've mentioned before, but still, it's always worth pointing out because there's no harm in pointing out stuff that's good, even if it's consistent. So that's certainly welcome. And one small thing I want to give credit for that we've not mentioned is I want to speak about Crone's voice actress from. Okay. She actually sang her lyric, like the bit when she was like, she actually fucking sang that. Like, this is the thing, right? I can't understand Japanese one fucking iota, apart from like a couple of odd piecemeal words here and there that won't do me any actual good if I ever visit the country. <laughs> I mean, I can't just keep saying it's a lucky mass like, you know, whenever I go to a KFC there. That isn't going to get me a fucking chicken burger. Okay. So here's the thing, right? I can't read that, but there's still a lot, as I've always said before, about voice acting to be taken away from tone of delivery and, you know, mannerisms, things that you can, volume, etc., that you can pick up from there regardless of the language that's being conveyed. So the fact that she's singing that and taking great pleasure out of singing over her perceived triumph Oh, God, I recognize two 11-year-olds were lying to me. Do I feel like a big fucking woman? Great. Yeah. That was brilliant, man. I loved that scene. Yeah. Ain't I a big fucking woman figuring that out? Yeah. Uh, Like, but the fact that she was singing it, that, again, was just a nice little touch. So for all of that stuff, actually pivoting my opinion around on a character so thoroughly, with the exception of the fact that their character sign still sucks balls, uh, I'm going to give this episode... 4.5 4.5 post-apocalyptic Amazon deliveries out of 5. Yeah. My man. There you go. Man. What a good episode. I mean, they've all been good. This is not a surprise at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, so we'll see what happens in episode 8. Uh, but in the meantime, let's just very quickly sign off. Oh, uh, uh, so yes. To, let me Twitter. Let me revisit Twitter. Um, oh, yes. Yes. We'll, we will talk about the polls. Do you like the Promised Neverland OP is our first poll of the day. We have four choices. Unconditional yes, yes, but it doesn't fit. No, because it doesn't fit. And just straight up no, it's just bad. Right now, an unconditional yes is winning. So uh, mm-hmm. the people with issues uh, are in the distinct minority. So if you don't like the OP, get out and vote. Uh, are Crone's boots, <laughs> boots cool is the other poll. 100% so far in the yep category uh last thing i'll say is memers out there i'm i'm wanting i'm hoping i'm looking for a meme when isabella i'm sorry when i keep doing this when crone is trying to ransack ray's room and she moves the bed and finds the note and opens it up i want it to cut to something else that she sees on the paper like 
ain't telling you fucking shit. I don't know anything. <laughs> like, Drilled sweets. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Did you? Yes, what she said. Fucking a. Yes. Cut to the drill tweet. I need to see it. Uh, yeah. I cursed you about it before. I'm gonna curse it again. You bastard. <laughs> you. But that's such a good idea. Like it needs to happen. <laughs> it needs to happen. Um. Oh shit. Um. Right. Well then. Uh. You know where we are. Uh. You can find us on Twitter as usual, uh, mm-hmm. Warrior Death Show. Uh, if you've been enjoying the show, uh, please hesitate to drop us a quick, you know, iTunes review, SoundCloud review on whatever platform you may be on. It helps our discoverability. Uh, feel free to give us any uh, constructive feedback as well you might yep. want to offer. It's always good to hear. Uh, thank you, as always, to everyone in the chat for joining us, both new and old people returning from Banana Fish, people who are joining us for the Promised Neverland. It's always great to have you all here. Uh, we will be back next week, Vargella included, because we will have freed from the hostage situation with Phil Biden, I promise. Uh, we'll be back next week to cover episode eight, which will be another day in November, something like that. I mean, not dealing with book tiles anymore, thankfully, so it's a lot more, you know, comprehensible this time around. I'm not feeling like I'm looking at a reading list going through this. Uh, but until that time, I want to wish you all a very good evening. Have a fantastic week and weekend. Uh, and until next time, as always, everyone, embrace your everyone to the ends of the universe. No, dear, us. La luz te espera.